Let's turn over to the book of Zechariah. Anybody know where that is? It's the next to last book in the Old Testament. It's right before Malachi and then comes Matthew. It's on page 737. (laughs) And while you're trying to find Zechariah, let me just say that I, I really feel like the Lord impressed on me this week to minister on the Holy Spirit and the power that the Holy Spirit brings to the believer's life and how it's essential to every single part of our life. And I'm going to be dealing with a number of things. We will be uh, establishing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts are still valid and for us today. But it's not limited to that. I'm also going to be talking about There are many people who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have received the gift of speaking in tongues and yet they aren't flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how to hear the voice of God. And I think that there's a lot of believers that just aren't really utilizing what they've been given. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is just absolutely essential for our lives. You know... Uh, many of you, I'm sure, have been born again relatively recently, but Jamie and I, I got born again, let's see, what would it have been, 52 years ago. And uh, I have been walking with the Lord. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit 42 years ago. And back when I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you couldn't go to a single church or meeting that wasn't talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of speaking in tongues and miracles and faith and healing and uh, all of these things. I mean, it was just dominant. It completely dominated the body of Christ. Even the denominational churches that didn't accept the charismatic move or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were talking about it. They were saying it was all of the devil. (laughs) But I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit was the focus of the entire body of Christ, and this is worldwide. If you haven't been around and didn't have that perspective, I can guarantee you anybody who was around during that time, it was just paramount. The full gospel businessmen were bringing in, I mean, tens of thousands of people. And people were coming. And just talking about the Holy Spirit was dominant in the body of Christ. And today, I still emphasize and minister on the Holy Spirit Uh, I don't always teach on it the whole weekend the way I'm going to do this week, but we always emphasize it and give people an opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I mean, it is seldom that we don't see hundreds of people in a meeting like this that will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I go into churches. I was just in a church this last week that is a spirit-filled church and doing great things. They have a total of like 4,000 people that they minister to in seven different churches. And uh, the night that I was there, we had about 120 or 30 receive the baptism out of 1,000 that was in that meeting. And every satellite location had at least 10% of the group come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is in a spirit-filled church. Some of my very best friends, some people who are even on the board of my ministry, I go into their church and preach and we'll have 100 to 200 people come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And certainly some of those are guests and visitors, but my point is that even in churches today that claim to be spirit-filled, there is a tremendous amount of those people 
that don't have the Holy Spirit. And then those who have received the Holy Spirit 10 years ago haven't been full of the Holy Spirit a day since. And I tell you, if you understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there is zero reason for you being defeated. Now, we still have an enemy out there and we still have attacks, but we have access to the power that will enable us to overcome. It doesn't guarantee that everything's going to work, but I tell you, it just makes a difference. And if nothing else... The Holy Spirit is called the comforter many, many times in scriptures. And if you have the Holy Spirit and if you are drawing on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm not leaving, Zechariah, are you still there? But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that the Holy Spirit comforts us in all of our tribulation, not some of it, all of it, so that we can comfort other people with the same comfort wherewith we are comforted. When you receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, literally it gives you access to such a power that it can deal with any problem, anything that comes your way. It just puts us out of the realm of being normal. And so much of what I deal with in people, they come and they are just approaching life as if it's in their own strength and power. And they believe that God has power, but it's out there. And they're trying to pray and get through the demonic strongholds. And they're asking God to come and touch them. And I tell you, once you understand what the Holy Spirit is sent to do and how he comes and indwells us, it changes your whole perspective. No longer are you powerless. You are the one that has received power. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you were to really receive the Holy Spirit and receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it puts you in the driver's seat. You are no longer in a passenger seat where you're just crying and saying, would you please turn here and take me there? And No, you're in control. You can literally take charge. The Holy Spirit gives you power that makes it different. And you shouldn't have this attitude of being powerless anymore. And Again, I could just spend all night trying to verify this point, but I'm just trying to introduce how necessary this teaching is. But so many people come to me and they basically say that the doctor says I'm going to die. The banker says that we're in a recession and that they can't do anything. And and they just tell me all of the things that can't work and they basically come saying I'm powerless. I have nothing that I can do. Would you please ask God to help me? And I understand what they're doing, but you know what? It grieves me to hear people come like that because they're basically saying that that there's nothing I can do. Would you please ask God to do something? God did not leave us powerless. And for you to approach it and say, well, the doctor says I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do. You are already denying the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You are denying the fact that he that dwells in you is greater than he that dwells in the world. And you need to approach your situations differently. Now, I'll admit that all of us come up against things that even though we have the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't work automatically. You've got to renew your mind and you have to stand and fight. And sometimes we need agreement from other people. I acknowledge all that. But just to come and say that I'm absolutely powerless, would you please, maybe God will do it for you. You have already embraced defeat. You have already, in a sense, discounted the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me just mention this quickly. I'm going to focus on this more during this week. But here's a tease. In the 16th chapter of the book of John, 
Jesus said, It is more expedient for you that I go away because if I don't leave, I won't be able to send you the Holy Spirit. Now stop and wrap your brain around that. You know, most of us would, if we were given a choice of things the way that they are right now, versus having Jesus in his physical body in this room, and Jesus in his physical body walking up and saying something to you and touching you and ministering to you, most of us would, without a moment's hesitation, we would vote for having Jesus in his physical body right here ministering to us tonight. Jesus says it's actually better to have the Holy Spirit here working on the earth today than it is to have him in his physical body. Now, I'm going to amplify on that more, and I'll be giving you more. But just think about this. Most of us say, oh, man, if, G- if Jesus was to walk into this room, and if somehow we could verify that this was Jesus, and if Jesus was standing here, I can guarantee you every person in here would be out telling somebody about it. You'd be calling. You'd be letting somebody know this would be awesome. You know what? We've got the Holy Spirit that Jesus says it's actually better Most people do not feel that way because we haven't appropriated and been receiving what the Holy Spirit has to offer. We aren't taking advantage of it. But having the Holy Spirit indwelling you is better than having Jesus in his physical body here tonight. Now, if we could just take that one statement and that ought to basically turn all of our theology on its ear And say that we've got to be missing something because most of us do not value the ministry of the Holy Spirit as much as we would value the physical bodily presence of Jesus. And yet that's what Jesus said. So I believe that this is going to be helpful to you. This is going to stretch you. And uh, you really can't go anywhere that you haven't already desired and longed for in your heart. And there's a lot of people that just say, oh, I've heard about the Holy Spirit and we don't understand what the Holy Spirit is really meant to do. And so we aren't even desiring it. We're looking for something else. If you were to get the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, I guarantee you, you've got the power that created the universe. You've got the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got the power that has done everything, every miracle recorded in here. You've got, it's like the dynamo, the generator, the power plant that has done everything that God has ever done, living on the inside of you. And if we could fully appreciate that, I guarantee you, it would make a difference in your life. So have you found Zechariah yet? (laughs) Chapter 4, I'm only going to read one verse here, but let me give you the context. This is after the children of Israel had been driven out of uh, the, uh, the promised land. They were in captivity, and the Lord had granted them the freedom to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. But when they got back there, of course, the enemies of the Lord fought against them and they were impoverished. They were a people that had come out of exile. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have anything. And they were, it was taking everything they had to try and rebuild the temple. And then people came out and accused them of rebelling against the king of Babylon. And so the work started and it stopped. And the book of Zechariah was written really to encourage the Jews to get back to doing what God sent them to do, which was to go back and reestablish themselves in the promised land and build the temple. And Zerubbabel is the guy who was the leader, and he was struggling to get it done, and it looked like it was never going to get done. And anyway, in the fourth chapter of Zechariah, the Lord gave Zechariah a 
a vision of a golden candlestick. And I'm not going to go into all of this, but the long and the short of it was it was a image that was supposed to um, confirm to Zerubbabel that God was with him and that it was going to get accomplished. He says down here in, um, anyway, I won't read the verse, but it, he said that his hands started the temple and his hands will finish the temple. And it was a direct prophecy from God to encourage Zerubbabel and cause him to, um, to be able to finish the temple. And so let's look at verse 6. It says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Man, that's a powerful word. And I've used that phrase a lot of times to encourage me. But you know, here's another way of saying this, that the Christian life in our day and age is not just difficult to live. It's impossible to live. It's impossible. Jesus told us that when somebody sues you at the law, don't resist. If they're taking away your coat, give them your cloak also. If somebody smites you on the cheek, don't hit them back. Turn the other cheek. If somebody defames you, pray for them. If somebody is stolen from you, feed them. Feed your enemies. Did you know that that's against nature? This is against nature for us to do good unto the people that do us bad. It is not humanly possible for us to turn the other cheek when somebody compels you to go one mile and carry something for them. That was a Roman law of the day that a Roman soldier could come and command any person to bear his burden for one mile. That was the law and you had to do it. It didn't matter what you were doing. It didn't matter if you were on your way uh, you know, to something really important. A Roman could come and tap you on the shoulder and make you carry their burden. Jesus said, if they compel you to carry it one mile, carry it two. You know, this just isn't normal. And here's my point. The Christian life isn't difficult or hard. It's impossible. It's impossible to live that way. It's impossible to do what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, verse 12 uh, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. Think about that. We're supposed to do the works that Jesus did, and even greater works. Sometimes people will get hung up on this and saying, well, the greater works are we're on radio and television. We're reaching millions and billions, and Jesus never did that, so we're doing the greater works. I don't believe that's what that's talking about. But even if you believe it, what are you going to do with the portion of the verse that says the works that he did will we do also? That's talking about healing the sick, cleansing the leper, raising the dead, opening up blind eyes and raising people out of wheelchairs and calling people's names. Zacchaeus, come down when you've never seen them before. He said the works that we do, will he do uh, that he did, will we do also. Did you know that that's impossible in the natural? And sad to say, and I'm not saying this for the purpose of hurting anybody. But you know what? You can't fix something until you realize it's broken. You aren't going to try and get healed if you think that the way you're living is normal. You've got to recognize that this is abnormal. I'm not, I'm not up to standards. And before we can fix what's wrong in the body of Christ, we've got to identify it. And I guarantee you today, the vast majority of Christianity is more than content with just going to church, having a nice little service, and doing a few things. But if you were to go to the average pastor today 
and say, I'm sick and the doctor told me I'm going to die. Would you please anoint me with oil and pray for me the way it says in James chapter 5. Most pastors would say, well, have you been to the doctor? Are you taking treatments? How are you? Or, you know, let's pray for the doctor to help you. That's not what the scripture says to do. It says that you should be healing the sick. Matter of fact, it's a command in the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 8, and also in Luke chapter 9. He, he told us not to pray for the sick. He says, go heal the sick. You know, I see this lady Kathy over here and she's only going to be here tonight. And so I'll, I'll give you a real quick testimony. But she came up and she's been suffering with deafness. How long? Most of your life, you think you said? Huh? Her whole life. She had hearing aids in and was lip reading. And she could hear, but it was hard. And anyway, she took her hearing aids out. God healed her tonight. And she was able to turn around and without looking at me... I was able to speak and she was able to repeat the words that I was saying. And I started off whispering. She could hear a little bit. And then I got three feet away and her hearing was improving. I believe it's still improving. We've seen a miracle right here tonight. Jesus has healed her. And I've prayed with some other people tonight. I believe cancer was healed. I believe people were healed emotionally and things like that. Miracles are still happening today. But if you go to the average church and ask them, would you please pray for me to be healed? Well, go to the doctor. They want to set, accept that responsibility. And you know what? Most people think, well, certainly. Why haven't you gone to the doctor instead of going to the pastor? I guarantee you, if we were doing the works that Jesus said we should be doing, and if we were healing the sick instead of just praying for them, and if we were healing the sick, you know what? They'd be cutting holes in the roof and letting the sick in, and they'd be bringing them today. But in a lot of churches, man, we have to have pack the pew nights and we have to have gimmicks and we have to do this and, and that to get people to come in because we don't have the power of the Holy Ghost anymore. Jesus used miracles like a bell that drew people to him. And there's many, many times that the scripture says that the people followed him because of the miracles. They didn't follow him because of his great preaching. Now, I believe Jesus was the greatest preacher that ever was, but people haven't changed that much. It was the fact that there was miraculous manifestations. People knew that they could get their needs met. People came because they had needs and wanted to get them met. And Jesus was able to minister to them. He proved that God wasn't only concerned about eternity, but he was healing bodies. He was setting people like Mary Magdalene who was demon-possessed free. And people's lives were being changed and they were encountering the Lord. Today, most churches are telling people about come to the Lord and get your life straight so that you won't die and go to hell. It's all about eternity. We sing songs about in the sweet by and by when we all get to heaven. But in the rough now and now, there is no hope. And that's the reason that most Christians, to, or mo, let me rephrase that, most non-Christians today have relegated the church to where it's really not a major issue because it doesn't deal with today. It's not ministering to people's needs today. It's all for eternity. And the majority of people out there will tell you that, yes, I believe there's a heaven and a hell and that there's a God, but you know what? That's off in the future. That's 20, 30, 40, 50 years or whatever. And they are living in such a hell at the moment that they can't think long term. They should, but they don't. And they're just struggling to muddle through where they are. And the church isn't meeting the needs. Most people see the church as irrelevant. 
If the church was healing the sick and cleansing the leper and raising the dead, and if the church was seeing demons cast out of people, again, if you were to go to the average pastor today and say, man, I'm depressed, would you please minister to me? They'd say, well, have you tried a psychiatrist? Uh, Have you ever gone on this pill? You know, there is a pill for depression and we would send people somewhere else. If a person comes with a financial need, well, have you contacted the community services? Have you checked with welfare? Are you on unemployment? Have you taken uh, food stamps? We'd send them to the government. That's not the way it was intended to be. Did you know that the prison system in the United States was started by the Presbyterian Church? When America was young... They didn't have prison system. They didn't have this strong government system that paid for everything. And so as a result, they would uh, beat people. They'd give them lashes. They'd put them in stocks if they stole a piece of bread. But if they did it two or three or four times, after a while, they'd kill you for stealing a piece of bread. They just didn't have any way to deal with it. And the Presbyterian church says, you know what, there's something better than killing people who are stealing because they're hungry. And so they started a prison where they locked people up and prayed over them and shared the word and tried to rehabilitate them. And they started seeing such great results that they started uh, drawing more and more people. And eventually it became obvious that there was a better way to, to deal with these things than to just kill a person. And so the government stepped in and took it over. They shouldn't have ever turned it over to the government. The church should have been ministering to people who were in need. The church were the ones that started welfare But it wasn't anything like our welfare today where you reward second and third generation people who are using the system and having kids so that they can get more money. That's not good. The Bible says that if you don't work, don't eat. But the church used to minister to the hungry and the poor. And it was, there was so much community involvement and stuff that the government stepped in and is now taking it over. And it, all you got to do is get the government involved to totally destroy any efficiency of anything that's been done. And today, welfare is something that's destroying our nation. If the church would, wouldn't have advocated that responsibility, things would have been better. Did you know that churches are the ones that started schools? All education in the United States was started by churches. Churches did it specifically to teach people so that they could read the Word of God and be uh, instructed by the wisdom of God. And all of the education was centered around the Word of God. For the first 200 years of this country, even before we were uh, independent of Great Britain, but I mean when we were over here as colonies... The first 200 years was all centered around Christian education. And then the government stepped in. And it wasn't very long until Dewey came along and changed the government and took out God and rewrote history. And now we've raised a generation or two generation of ungodly people who don't even know what our history is, that don't have any moral concepts at all and stuff. And the church shouldn't have ever turned education over to the government system. We shouldn't have had to raise up all of the, this whole debate on health care and all of this stuff would be completely moot if the church was doing its job. Why would people want to go do all of the things that we do if you could just come and if the church was, was renowned for seeing the sick healed and the blind eyes open and the deaf ears open like Kathy over here and other people, if we could do these kind of things, let's do it. And man, the church would start drawing people. But see, the church basically is preaching something that there is no demonstration. There is no um, 
verification that it's true. And so it's easy for the unbelievers just to blow the church off. You know why? Because it's, I'm going to share this later, but it's the Holy Spirit that causes miracles to happen. They can't happen. You don't have the power to heal a gnat. You don't have the ability to do anything. You've got to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And something that is complete, you can observe this. There are no uh, exceptions to this that I'm aware of. You look at the people who teach against the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they do not see miracles. You look at the people who do minister on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they do see miracles and that varies according to a lot of different things. But it's just straight across the board. You renounce the Holy Spirit, you don't encourage and teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you will not see miracles, you will not see financial deliverance, you won't see people delivered of demons, set free from emotional things, they just don't happen. And the people who do teach on the Holy Spirit do see miracles. There ought to be, uh, I mean, your lightning fast mind ought to be able to figure out that there is some type of connection here. Without the Holy Spirit, you aren't going to see the supernatural, miraculous power of God in your life. So if the body of Christ was to start receiving and flowing and functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you we would start seeing manifestation of God's power in your life individually, corporately as a whole, it would do more to affect the world. You know, I've seen three people raised from the dead and I can promise you, you see a person raised from the dead and you can draw a crowd. We had a little church in Pritchett, Colorado that had 10 people in it. There was only 144 people in the whole town. 10 people in the church and the next closest town was, what was it, 20 miles or something like that away. And it had about a thousand people. I mean, there was just nothing to draw from out there. We saw a man raised from the dead and we started having a hundred people come to a church in a town of 144 people. You know what? If I could get that same percentage in Boston, we'd have a big church. You can draw a crowd if you start operating in the power of God. Go out and start raising people from the dead. Somebody think, well, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. If you have the Holy Spirit, that's what the scripture says. You can start seeing supernatural miracles and it will change things. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this not only would bless us if we started really appropriating and operating in what God has made available, but it would make you so attractive to be supernatural. People say, how are you? Now I always say blessed. I, for years, I used to say supernaturally. Amen. Because you know what? This is what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you supernatural ability. You no longer are limited. It's not by your might nor by your power, but it is by the Spirit of God that God wants us to live. And the sad fact is that the reason we aren't experiencing the deliverance and the finances and the joy and the peace and the healing and all of the things that God has purchased is because we're living under our own steam and under our own power. Most people do not rely on the Holy Spirit. Most people don't even have a vision of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Again, another little tease. I'll deal with this more, but in John chapter 16, about verse 13, it says, when the Holy Spirit is come, He will show you things to come. Now just stop and think about that. If the Holy Spirit was to show you things to come, how would that change your life? 
Most people go through life like a person who's blindfolded. Not looking, not able to see in front. They're just stumbling along. And it's just a matter of time till they trip over something, till they fall off of a cliff, till they fall in a hole, until something damaging happens because they just, they can't see. They're just struggling along and, and waiting on something to happen. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. The Lord showed me one time when I was supposed to travel on a plane, not to go on it. And that plane crashed and killed 169 people. And the Lord told me not to get on it. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. The Lord has told me things in advance. The Lord showed us some things about before this financial crisis hit. The Lord showed Jamie, pull all of your money out of this stuff and don't participate in it. Didn't lose a thing. And the Lord has shown us some things since the financial crisis has hit. Since October the 2nd, I believe it is, our investment in the stock market has gone up 61%. While everybody else has gone down 50%. People are oh, you can't do that. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will tell you things. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on. The Holy Spirit will tell you whether this person is the one to marry or not. And yet most of us just go out and think, oh man, this is awesome. I love them. And you don't even want to hear from the Holy Spirit because he might be telling you that this isn't the one. But you are so motivated. You want it. Amen. And so who forget the Holy Spirit. And then after you marry him and the new wears off, man, now you're a wreck. And you know what? If you would have followed the direction of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have been in this problem in the first place. You go out and you get this job and you do this. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is meant to control a believer's life. We are not supposed to be operating on our own. And we aren't supposed to be saying, oh, God, bless this. You aren't supposed to do your thing and ask God to bless it. What you need to do is say, God, I don't have a thing. I turn everything over to you. What do you want me to do? And when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, then you don't have to ask for him to bless it. It's already blessed because he wouldn't, he wouldn't lead you to do something that he isn't going to bless and prosper you in. We should be led by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, the scripture says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is considered normal in the Bible. And yet in the, in the body of Christ today, I'd say very, very, very few Christians are led by the Holy Spirit. Every once in a while, they may have the Holy Spirit give them a little bit of direction. Usually when your back is against the wall and you've already created a crisis and you've already messed things up and then, oh God, what do I do? And he, he pulls you out of it and shows you how to get out of it. But we don't have to wait until crisis hits. You could get to where you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would lead you and guide you. I'm just trying to state that just like the Lord told Zerubbabel, he was facing a task that it looked impossible. They didn't have the money. They had enemies coming against them. The king of Babylon had restrained them and had told them to quit the work. It looked like there was just no way that they could ever get this done. And the Lord said, tell Zerubbabel, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And I'm telling you the same thing tonight, that God has given you a supernatural ability to succeed, to prosper, to be well, to have joy and peace. And if you're just looking and saying, but there's a recession, what can I do? The Bible says he'll supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You shouldn't be limited to this world system. 
And I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, it's easy to preach, but that's harder to live. You don't live in the Northeast. You aren't up here in Boston. You, are, you don't know what our economy is. See, you're just approaching things based on a human standpoint, looking at it only in the natural. I'm telling you that there is supernatural power and ability available to you, and you can walk in the Holy Spirit, and you can be supernatural. Let me say it this way. If you aren't supernatural, you're superficial. God lives on the inside of us. The world ought to be able to see a difference in us. The Bible says we're alive. They're dead. And yet, if you were to take most Christians and stand them right next to an unbeliever and compare their lives, you wouldn't be able to tell much difference. Most Christians are as sick as the unbeliever is, as poor as the unbeliever, as stressed as the unbeliever, as depressed as the unbeliever. If most people were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. (laughs) And yet, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I could just go on. uh, In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And you could just go on and on and on, keep quoting scripture. You know what? We ought to be experiencing the supernatural power of God in our life. And it is not that way with most Christians. And I'm not saying this to hurt anybody, but I'm saying it that we've got to first of all realize there's more than what most of us are experiencing or we will just settle for nothing. If you don't stir yourself up, you'll sink to the bottom. You got to stir yourself up. You got to recognize that, man, there is more. And I'm going to be just taking scriptures and showing you about the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, the first thing I want to do is create a hunger in you that, praise God, man, the Holy Spirit is better than having Jesus here in his physical body, that we can do the same works that he did, that, man, miracles, signs, and wonders will be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you could get that vision, then you will start being motivated to seek for it. And that's one of the necessary steps. You know, over here in Genesis chapter 2, let me just use this. You can start right off, or Genesis chapter 1, you can start right off at the very beginning. In verse 1, Genesis chapter 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And you know, it's not all explained, but if you really study this out, everything that God did in creation, He did through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, some people have divided God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit into separate parts. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't totally understand the Trinity. I can't explain this to you completely. I believe that they are separate. Because Jesus, when he was baptized, an audible voice came out of heaven, not out of him, saying, this is my beloved son. And then the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form as if it was a dove. And so you can see the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit separate, but at the same time, they're one. They cannot be separated. And that's the reason that Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. 
God never flows independent of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do things without the Holy Spirit. Even here in creation, the Holy Spirit, it was moving upon the face of the waters. And if you look this up in the Hebrew, it's talking about he was brooding. Talking about like a chicken, you know, hatches its brood. He was incubating. The Holy Spirit was involved and was actually the creative force behind creating the heavens and the earth, you and me, everything physical and natural that we see. None of this would have existed without the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to get just a little tiny piece of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, it says over in John chapter 1, I believe it's about verse 16, it says, of His fullness have all we received and grace upon grace. And if you study that out again, the way that you receive His fullness is the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us and empowers us. You didn't get just a tiny bit of the Holy Spirit, just a little rationing of the Holy Spirit. You, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God on the inside of you, the same power that created the heavens and the earth. And here we are wondering about, oh God, could you heal this headache? We just don't fully appreciate the power that we've got. And because we haven't fully appreciated it, we haven't placed a demand on it. I remember a man coming up to me one time and he was listing all of the things that were wrong with him. And he says, man, I've got pain in my neck and it goes down my spine and it's in my hips. And I've got a nerve sciatic nerve problem all the way down my leg. And I've got neuropathy in my feet. And he just named, I don't know, a dozen things and told me about all of these things. And I was listening to it and he says, but you know, it's the pain in the neck that is really bad. If the Lord could just heal the pain in my neck, I could live with the rest of it. And I just looked at him and I said, well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, if we were to ask God to heal your neck and your back and your hips and your nerve and your leg and your feet, I mean, that might make the lights in heaven dim. I'm not sure God has enough power to heal all of those things at one time. And this guy just looked at me and he says, boy, that was really stupid what I said, wasn't it? And I said, it was real stupid. But that's the way that we think is, oh God, I've got four or five things, but I could live with, with most of them. If you just heal this one thing, you know what that indicates? That you don't understand who you're dealing with. We don't have a concept of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. And we think we're maxing out God. You know, we had meetings today talking about big things, multi-million dollar things, and every once in a while I have to minister this to myself. That you know what, God, you can do this. This may be big compared to where I'm coming from, but compared to what God is doing, it's nothing. And you know, as you begin to experience the power of God, it increases your ability to believe and receive. There's a scripture, Paul said, that you aren't straightened in us. You are straightened in your own bowels. And the word bowel in the Bible was used like we use the word heart today. It's your own heart that's limiting you. And you know, it's, it's really true. God is an awesome God. The Holy Spirit that indwells you is the same Holy Spirit that created the heavens and the earth that caused Jesus to walk on water, that saw the blind eyes open and the dead raised and all of these things. You have that power on the inside and yet we limit what the Holy Spirit can do by our small thinking. 
because we don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I could be real scholarly with this. I'd, I'd have to go through and, and I made a list this afternoon and it was over a page long of just some of the major things that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament. And I could go back and show you everyone, but I think I'd probably lose you in the details of it. Let me just summarize it by saying that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And man, the spirit of might came upon him and he was able to take city gates that were made out of iron that weighed hundreds of pounds and walk off with them. And you know, people think, well, man, he was this gigantic Herculean type of person. No, the scripture says people wanted to know what his secret was. If he would have been one of these Arnold Schwarzenegger type guys or one of these world wrestling type guys that bulged with muscles, nobody would have wondered what his secret was. You know, Samson just looked like me. (laughs) He was just a normal looking guy. There was nothing special about him. It was the spirit of the Lord that came upon him and gave him supernatural strength. You know, on the flip side of this, you can find that the Gadarene demoniac, he was bound with chains and yet the demons empowered him and he could break chains and nobody could keep him bound. He had supernatural strength. The Holy Spirit can give you much more supernatural strength than the devil can. The Holy Spirit can strengthen you. There were examples, there's so many examples I read this afternoon about Gideon and about, you could just go through and name hundreds of people that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and all of a sudden, man, boldness came upon them and they went out and faced giants. They killed people. They had power on them. One guy was able to slay over a thousand people until his hand literally clung to the sword and he couldn't let go of it. And on and on you could go. With, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon people and supernatural ability happened. It says that when uh, Moses was building the tabernacle and when Solomon was building the temple, the Spirit of the Lord came upon people and gave them wisdom how to build things, how to work with brass and silver and gold. Did you know that talents and abilities can be amplified and supernatural things can be happened when the Holy Spirit comes upon them? You know, there's a, there's a friend of mine, this Mark Patrick is a friend of mine, and I've known him for a long time. And he was just, I forgot exactly what he was doing. I think he was a construction worker. And one day he was just praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And the Lord told him he wanted him to sculpt. And he had given him an ability to be an artist. He had never drawn a thing in his life. And this man just decided that he would pray and believe God. And he has now... He is an artist deluxe. We've got an angel in our building that is, I don't know, 10, 12 feet tall. That's awesome. And he's, he's cast these things and he does, I mean, it is beautiful. He's got things all over the world. He's become renowned. And you know what? God just gave it to him by the spirit. He had never drawn a stick figure in his life. And now he's a tremendous sculptor. I've, I've met people before that God just supernaturally gave them the ability to play the piano or to play some instrument. It was supernatural how God has done it. There are people that have a supernatural gifting to be able to, re, to learn languages. I believe Carrie Pickett's like that. She went over to Russia. And man, I've heard people compliment her in Russia on her Russian. And she, you, There's certain people that just have an ability 
to speak. The Holy Spirit can give you supernatural abilities to accomplish things. And yet most of us are just out there struggling our own, learning it only by our own ability, using our own talents and ability when the Holy Spirit will supernaturally empower you to do whatever he calls you to do. He anointed Baziel, or I forget how to pronounce his name, to build the tabernacle and gave him ways to do things. I've read archaeological things about how they cast all of this brazen sea that was made for Solomon's temple. And that thing was about, I think, four or five inches thick. And it was made out of one piece. And they said that it was a marvel. It was a technological marvel. And they are amazed that people back uh, 4,000 years ago could do something like that. You know how they did it? Because God gave the spirit of wisdom and understanding in how to work with brass and iron and gold to people. He gave people the ability to work with their hands and do other things. Man, the spirit of God came on people and they were just completely changed, transformed. In the New Testament, you can see the disciples of Jesus that before Jesus was crucified, these guys did not have the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus told them in the 14th chapter of the book of John, somewhere around, um, I'm not sure, verse 13, 14, 15, he says, the Holy Spirit has been with you and he shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is involved with everybody. He's constantly here. But there's a huge difference in having the Holy Spirit with you and having Him in you. There's a difference in having the Holy Spirit in this room and having Him sitting upon and empowering people. And prior to the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so you see them running in terror and Peter denying that Jesus was even, uh, that he even knew Him. And you see timid, shy people that were unable to do anything. Constantly doing things wrong. Constantly. I mean, sometimes the only time Peter opened his mouth was to change feet. I mean, he was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was always making a mistake. Boy, after the resurrection and on the day of Pentecost, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and immediately they were bold. They saw 3,000 people born again in one day and then within a few days or a week, they saw another 5,000 people born again and they were brought before the same people that had intimidated them and had crucified Jesus and Peter stood up and it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He boldly proclaimed. He says, if you're wanting me to back down, I'm going to let you know that it's you and it's your rejection and, and crucifixion of Jesus that caused all of this. You killed the Messiah. He was talking to people that had the ability to kill him. And man, he was absolutely bold. He was fearless. Totally changed from just a month and a half before when he had run in fear. And now he was filled with boldness and authority. So much so that it says in Acts chapter 4 that the scribes and the Pharisees took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Man, they realized and they, they backed down. Peter backed them down because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And on and on you could go with this. It says in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, this is the ministry of Jesus to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And there are five different discourses during those three chapters that were recorded all in one night where he talked about the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to do this. The Holy Spirit will do all of these things. He was telling them about the advent of the Holy Spirit. 
He said in John chapter 14, verse 26, but when the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, has come, He will uh, teach you all things, or how does that go? He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. Now stop and think about that. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to say this in the correct way. I'm not trying to brag or anything like that. But, you know, I haven't been to cemetery. I mean seminary. <laughs> I didn't learn the things that God has taught me from another person. I'm like the apostle Paul that said that he went into the desert of Arabia and he didn't see any of the apostles for three and a half years or so. And he was in the deserts and he was taught supernaturally by the Lord. One of the best things that ever happened to me was I got drafted and sent to Vietnam and for 13 months I just stuck my nose in the Bible and I studied. And the Holy Spirit has supernaturally revealed truths to me that I'm not the only one that's got them. I could name many people to you. I was just with a great pastor who's been teaching the same thing for 25 so years. There's other people that teach this, but I'm saying there's not a lot of people that teach the grace and the faith of God in balance and uh, I consider it to be a revelation because the Holy Spirit taught me. And this is one of the first verses that I learned, John 14, 26. I started praying and saying, oh, Father, teach me. How, does, how do I understand this? And the Holy Spirit will supernaturally teach you the Word of God. There's so many people that just approach the Word as, well, the Bible's so hard to understand. That's because it's not written to your head. It's not meant to be understood with your brain. Now, I'm not saying that the word isn't logical, but you have to have revelation knowledge. Knowledge that doesn't come from your brain, but knowledge that comes from your heart, breathed upon and inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you'll remember when Jesus rose from the dead, 24th chapter of the book of Luke, he walked on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples and he spent, it was a seven mile walk, he spent that whole time expounding the scriptures to him. So seven miles takes somewhere around two hours to walk. And so for nearly two hours, Jesus just took scripture after scripture after scripture and told it to the disciples. But man, they just couldn't embrace it. It's like they had blinders on and they couldn't understand it. And then it says in Luke 24, 45, then breathed he upon them and, and opened their understanding. I'm not sure I got the wording right. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You know how he did that? It's through the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come, he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken to you, John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit just quickened and all of a sudden they had understanding and within days here they were preaching and expounding truths from Scripture that they had no knowledge of before and all of a sudden they just, boom, understood things. You know, in my life, and I think Jamie has also testified to this, that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we emphasize speaking in tongues and that certainly is a part of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the number one thing that happened in my life when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that it, the Word of God just exploded on the inside of me. My knowledge of the Word, it's like before that I could read a verse and I would have to, I would have to repeat that thing a thousand times to remember it and where it was. 
Do you know after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God could speak something to me and boom, it was mine. And it says the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance what He's spoken to you. You know, I used to mark my Bible just constantly and I'm not against marking in a Bible. But I used to have mine so marked up that literally entire books of the Bible were gone. I had worn them out and I would put tape on it and then you couldn't write on the scotch tape anymore. And finally, I just had to go get a brand new Bible because the one I had, entire books of the Bible were gone. And I went through grief for two years trying to remark it. I went back and began to start re- And it was just, it was so tedious and so burdens, burdensome that I finally, God, what's wrong? What can I do? And he showed me, he says, I'll bring these things back to your remembrance. He says, if you have to remember, it's on the right side of the page and I got two stars over there and it's underlined. And you know what? If that's the way you remember it, it's not in your heart. And so I decided that, you know what? I'm going to quit marking in my Bible. Not because there's anything wrong with it. If you mark in your Bible, that's just fine. But I'm saying, I decided I was going to get it in my heart. It's only the ones that I had in my heart that were going to change me, not the ones that I'd marked on the page. And you know what? I started depending on the Holy Spirit to bring back to my remembrance. And I can quote tens of thousands of scriptures and I have never sat down and tried to memorize it. I depend on the Holy Spirit to bring back to my remembrance. And you know, this is really the best note-taking system you can get. Because if you're taking notes on me or anybody else, I might say something that isn't really of God, that's just me. The Holy Spirit, if you let Him bring back to your remembrance, He'll only bring back what Jesus said. And that way you remember all of the good stuff and any bad stuff, He won't remind you of it. That's a great note-taking system. If you just write down everything, you're going to get the good and the bad and the ugly. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. He will teach you all things, lead you into all truth, and bring all things to your remembrance. Man, there's been so many times that I've sat down and said, Father, just remind me. And I depend on the Holy Spirit to remind me of things, to do things. You know, here's a little, this is a personal preference. Don't make a law out of this. I'm just trying to illustrate that we have this person, the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not a force or an influence. He's a person. He's real. He's, a, he's God in spirit form. And so don't make a law out of this, but you know, I, I've just decided that I use the Holy Spirit to wake me up. It's been 30 years since I've had an alarm. And you know, I travel the world. I go to different time zones. And my body doesn't know what time it is. (laughs) And you know what? I've gone to sleep and only had two hours before I had to get up and go catch a plane and been by myself, nobody else around. And I'll go to sleep and ask the Holy Ghost to wake me up. And he wakes me up. I've not missed anything in 30 years. Somebody said, do you have to do that? No. God's not mad at you if you use an alarm. You aren't any holier if you don't use an alarm. But I'm saying it's just something that I personally chose to do because he's up all night anyway. (laughs) And it'd be just like if, you know, somebody is here with me and they're in the room and I've said, you know, I'm going to go to sleep. Would you wake me? Are you going to stay awake? Oh, yeah, I'll be awake. Well, would you wake me up in an hour? 
I'd trust somebody. If Jamie was there, I'd trust her to wake me up in an hour if she's awake. Well, the Holy Spirit's with me. I just ask him to wake me up. And I don't know, do I need an hour to get ready or I need an hour and a half or 30 minutes? I just ask the Holy Spirit to wake me up whenever I need. And you know what? It's always perfect. Some of you think, you don't. I don't believe you can do that. Well, then it won't work for you. Amen. Don't try it. But I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is a person and we ought to start relying on him to teach us things, to show us truth, to bring things to our remembrance. For you to sit there and say, oh, I just can't remember this. It's actually a statement that, you know what, I don't depend on the Holy Spirit. I'm just depending upon my own ability and I can't remember anything and so you don't even try You ought to start depending on the Holy Spirit. There's times that I've lost my keys. I've left something someplace and I'll sit down and say, Holy Spirit, where have I put this? And you know what? God will supernaturally speak to you. He'll tell you things. You know, David Hardesty down here, our general manager, it was what, a year ago that you, the Lord spoke to you about the water? In, in like a year ago, January or something. And, and he's got a house and he's never done this before. But as he was getting ready to leave, the Lord just spoke to him about draining the water. He turned off the water, I think. But the Lord told him about draining the water out of his house. There's no reason to do that. But he just did it. And, you know, it turned out that his heater went off and quit working. And it was in January in Colorado. And if he hadn't have done that, all of the pipes in his house would have burst. And it would have cost thousands of dollars to repair it. And then the damage that the water would have done. But the Holy Spirit will show you things to come and tell you. And if we would just obey, he could keep you from having your water pipes burst. The Holy Spirit will show you things. First John chapter 2, verse 20 says, You have an unction. From the Holy One. And you know what the word unction means? It means a special anointing or endowment of power. And anytime you talk about being anointed, it's the Holy Spirit that anoints. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. That's not true up here of your little peanut brain. But in the Spirit, your spirit man knows all things. And the Holy Spirit is sent to lead you into all of that truth and give you understanding and explain it to you and you can get supernatural revelation. You don't have to learn it just from the outside in. You can have God reveal things to you supernaturally and tell you things that go beyond natural ability. You know, every one of you, I bet, has had times that you've made a decision And it was logical to make the decision that you did. But you felt like you should be doing this other thing. But you just went with logic. And then after you have a train wreck and find out what a mess it was, you say, I knew I was supposed to do this. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit speaking to you and showing you something. And yet we constantly, consistently ignore that and don't trust the Holy Spirit to guide us. Most of us feel it's foolish to be led by your heart. I've got to use my brain. Well, being led by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you turn off your brain, but you need to recognize that there's more to it than just what you can perceive with your five senses. You need to recognize the Holy Spirit will speak to you and show you things. And so many of us don't depend on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things it says, He will lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit, it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
The Holy Spirit is sent to lead us and to guide us and instruct us. And most of us just go our own way, doing our own thing, and only turn to the Lord after we've totally messed up our life, and then we ask God to fix it and get us out of it. You know, again, I'm not saying this to brag on myself. I'm saying it in thankfulness to the Lord. But I got, tur- I got born again when I was eight years old. I've never turned away from the Lord. I've been seeking the Lord. And I can tell you, God has saved my bacon millions of times. I could have made so many mistakes. I had people all the time saying, wouldn't you like to go back 30 years and take the knowledge that you've got now and go back and do it over? No I am so privileged. I am so thankful that things have worked out as good as they have. If I was to go back and redo it, I could have messed it up a million times worse than it is. Man, I am just so blessed. And it's because I have sought the Lord. And the Holy Spirit has supernaturally told me things. You know, we give tapes away. Now, we we have a price out there, a suggested donation, but I think it's 53% of all people that contact us get our materials free. And we send them books and tapes and DVDs and CDs, and they don't send in a penny. You know, we've given away, I don't even know how many, but well over 6 million tapes, books, CDs, and the vast majority of them are giveaways. You know, I've had people prophesy to me and say, Thus saith the Lord, quit doing that. I've had people tell me this is foolish. I've had managers that ridiculed me and have said, you can't do this. And yet, you know, looking back, it is one of the smartest things I ever did. And it wasn't my great brain that figured this out. I was just led by the Holy Spirit to do this. And I had a witness in my heart that, you know what, I'm not going to compromise in this issue. And I kept doing it. And I guarantee you, it is awesome what that has done. That has opened up so many doors. That has exposed what God has given me to more people than I ever would have reached if I'd have been selling all of my materials. It's turned out to be one of the best things that's ever happened. I'm not smart enough to do that. That is just the Holy Spirit. He'll just guide you and show you things. You know, it was two months ago today that my mother died. She was 96 years old and she died uh, two months ago today. And right before she died, I was talking to my mother and she said, Tell me what's going on. And I was telling her about all of these things around the world and about how God was blessing us. And she used to work for me and open all of my mail and make the deposits. And she knew exactly what was going on in the ministry. And now it's like just huge compared to what it was when she was working for us. And as I was telling her about all this, she was so blessed. But then she looked at me and she says, Andy, you know this is the Lord. And I said, yes, mother, I know it's the Lord. And she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. (laughs) And I said, well, yes, I know that too. You know, I'd really do something to your pride when your mother tells you, you aren't smart enough to do this. But I knew exactly what she's saying. I mean, my life is supernaturally blessed. I couldn't have thought these things up. I couldn't have conceived this. There is no way for me to get from where I was. I was an introvert that couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them when I was in high school. And here I am speaking to hundreds of people, millions of people every day on television, and I don't ever get stressed out over it. I usually don't ever think about what I'm going to say before I get up there. It's no anxiousness about it at all. The Holy Spirit has supernaturally changed me. 
And I can just tell you, most of you don't have my perspective. You don't know me as well as I know me. But I'm telling you that it is an absolute miracle. Not only me being here, but it's an absolute miracle. Me having the revelation of the Word. I wasn't taught it by a person. The Holy Spirit has supernaturally revealed things. I'm going to teach you this during this week, how to pray in tongues and get an interpretation and have the Holy Spirit speak things to you. One of the smartest decisions I ever made was not to take out a loan on this building and God spoke that to me as I was praying in tongues and interpreted it. We have the Holy Spirit available and most of us aren't using it. And then we're going to God, God, why aren't things working out? And he's saying, use what you've got. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Pray in tongues and get an interpretation. Speak in tongues and edify yourself. Build yourself up on your most holy faith in the Holy Spirit. It says that you edify. The word edify means to build up, to promote spiritual growth. You know, if you were to just speak in tongues, it says in Isaiah chapter 28, I believe it is, verses 11 and 12, somewhere around there, it says, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. And it says that that's talking about speaking in tongues. And so if you were to just take that one scripture, did you know that it would be impossible to be depressed or to be discouraged if you would just pray in tongues? Because this is the rest and this is the refreshing. And you build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And then Jude chapter 1 verse 20, the next verse says... Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourself? Don't ask God to keep you in the love of God. You keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? By praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in tongues and building yourself up. It's up to you to experience the love of God. God's love is transmitting. It's our receiver that's not working. And the way you turn your receiver on is to start flowing in the Holy Spirit. Speak in tongues and it's just like flipping a switch. And the Holy Ghost will build you up and encourage you. If you're discouraged... You either don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you aren't using what you've got. There is zero reason for you to be discouraged and defeated. Now, you could be tempted. You could have things come against you. But if you will just take advantage of what God has given you and use it, you can overcome this. And the Holy Spirit will comfort you in all of your tribulation. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Not some of it, all of it. And you could overcome all of those things and you could keep yourself encouraged. You know, my personal testimony is that I haven't been depressed for 40 or probably 39 years. And I've had a lot of depressing things happen. I've had a lot of bad things happen. Some people think, well, you just haven't had my problems. I've had plenty of problems. I've had plenty of reason to be depressed. But you know what? I've learned that the Holy Spirit is sent to encourage you and to build you up. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. The Holy Spirit only produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The Holy Spirit doesn't produce grief. It doesn't produce depression. If you're grieving and depressed, discouraged, it's because you aren't flowing in the Holy Spirit. You are living in the natural realm. And there's plenty of natural things that are discouraging. But if you would uh, operate in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch and turning it on and this dynamo starts working on the inside of you and the power of God starts flowing. 
Brothers and sisters, if we've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we do not have an excuse for not living in victory. We might have reasons, but there is no excuse. We have the power within us to be able to overcome. Jesus said you would receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Not before the Holy Spirit. And guess who he was speaking to? His disciples that in John chapter 20 he had already breathed upon them and said receive the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit but they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hadn't anointed them. There is a separate experience. Tomorrow morning, tonight what I've done is just try and encourage us that the Holy Spirit is the power of God. It's not by our might nor by our power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And I've just tried to emphasize and show that the Holy Spirit will encourage you and give you talents and lead you into all truth and bring things to your remembrance. You have an unction. And I've just tried to establish some of the parameters of what the Holy Spirit will do. But tomorrow I'm going to establish that there is a difference between being born again and having the Holy Spirit with you and having the Holy Spirit in you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from salvation. And I can show that to you from Scripture. I can give you personal testimony that with me, I was born again at 8, but it was 18 when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my life changed more through the baptism of the Holy Spirit than it did through salvation. Not to say that salvation is less important It's the foundation. You've got to be born again. But as far as outward demonstration, Jesus didn't do any miracles until the Holy Spirit came upon him. I didn't have any outward manifestation of God in my life until the Holy Spirit came upon me and I started operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as far as outward things, visible things, emotional things, I was changed more by the baptism of the Holy Spirit than I was by my born-again experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is where you receive power. And so you must receive it. And I'm going to be establishing that tomorrow and talking about that. But I want to encourage you tonight to just, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you must receive this to receive the power of God and to get these things operating in your life. If you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled. You need to be currently filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to depend upon the Holy Spirit, not for just an initial experience, but you need to cultivate a life to where you draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and recognize that God isn't out there somewhere. He lives on the inside of you and He's here to empower you and to impart to you and to give you the ability to be supernatural instead of superficial. You've got to learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And not lean under your own understanding and do things by your own power. We're going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How to hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit. And some real practical things that I think will help you. So I encourage you to come back. But you know, if you're here tonight, and if you haven't received the baptism, but somebody says, well, I thought I got that when I got saved. I'm using some... Uh, scriptural terminology here, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that means different things to different people. But let me just say this, that when people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and I will show this to you from Scripture, they spoke with other tongues. 
And that is a valid gift for today. There are churches that teach that this passed away, but it's my personal experience that when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I spoke in tongues. I didn't immediately because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught to fear it. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but it's only when I finally started speaking in tongues that the fullness of that baptism of the Holy Spirit worked in my life. I can promise you, if I hadn't have gone ahead and spoken in tongues, that's, you've got to combine it. You've not only got to believe that you receive, but then you need to manifest it and yield to the point that the Holy Spirit speaks through you with tongues. In the Bible, they all spoke with tongues when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I could say it this way, if you don't speak in tongues... You either don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is probable, or at the very least, somebody's messed with you. You aren't operating in the fullness. You haven't received the completeness of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues doesn't mean you're spiritually mature, but I mean it's a first step. You must start flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't speak in tongues, you should receive the gift of speaking in tongues. It's just absolutely essential. And this is for everybody. Somebody says, well, do you have to speak in tongues to be saved? No, you don't. I'm not speaking in tongues right now and I'm saved. (laughs) And if I never spoke in tongues, I could still be saved, but you, you have it available to you. Why wouldn't you speak in tongues? Matter of fact, you can go to heaven without speaking in tongues and you can get there quicker because you aren't gonna have any power operating in your life. And so, yes, you can go to heaven without speaking in tongues, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like getting a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all come with tongues. Amen? (laughs) And if you truly have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God has given you or will give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, then you either haven't received the Holy Spirit or you certainly haven't got the fullness of the Holy Spirit and you need to receive it. And somebody says, well, that's not what they teach in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. That's the reason I had to rent an auditorium. But I'm telling you, it's true. It's my experience. I speak in tongues. And some of you think, well, man, I didn't know you spoke in tongues. You just sit there. You don't scream and rant and rave and you don't have a towel wiping your fevered brow. I didn't know you was one of those tongue talkers. Well, I am. And you are at a Holy Ghost meeting. And and so whether you intended it or not, they're going to talk about you for coming here. And so why leave without getting something? You might as well get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're going to talk about you anyway. And you might as well receive this. And I'm going to be teaching you about how powerful it is to yield to the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I tell you, it'll change your life. Absolutely. So if you aren't born again, you must be born again. If you are born again, you must, in order to walk in the fullness of God and to see His power released, you must yield to the Holy Spirit and receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, man, I need one or both of those. I need to receive this. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you and we're going to see God touch your life. Isn't this great? Praise the Lord. Lots of hands. Thank you, Jesus. 
You know, I know that there's some people that did not raise your hand and you're thinking, all right, what are you going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you to come up here, but I'm going to give every one of you a book because it's important that you understand this. And it's a free gift. You've got nothing to lose. We haven't got a church for you to join. We aren't going to hit you and say, hang on, and another one say, let go. We're just going to come up here and minister to you and pray. And if you're ready, you could receive and speak in tongues right now. And if for whatever reason, if you've got religious hangups and questions, this book will answer your questions and help you. And I believe we're going to plant a seed tonight that will eventually grow into you receiving the fullness of God in your life. So you've got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want you to stand right down here and we're going to pray for you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, we aren't going to be able to get everybody stretched out. Uh, Melinda, I don't think we're going to be able to get everybody stretched out. We got too many. So let's just have you crowd down here in the front and we're going to do this a little bit differently tonight than what I typically do. But we will help minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to all of you. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. You know, on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it literally took the gospel around the world. And you and I are here today because of 120 people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you will receive, and again, it's a growing process. This just doesn't instantly make everything perfect, but it puts an ability, a power on the inside of you. If every person here was to receive this, we got more than 120. We could certainly change Boston. We can certainly change this area. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus said you would receive power after the Holy Spirit. And it's going to give you supernatural ability to understand. He's going to bring things to your remembrance. He'll teach you all things. There are just so many things that are going to happen. This is powerful. Before you can receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says that Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And so you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. If there's anybody up here who has not made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, you need to be born again first. You need to make Jesus your Lord. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive the one who gives the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus. So if there's anybody here who isn't absolutely certain about your personal relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you believe that there's a God. The Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. It takes more than just believing that God exists. You have to make a commitment of your life to Him. And I believe that there's lots of religious people today who believe God exists, but they haven't committed their life to Him. The Bible says you have to make Jesus your Lord 
confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake or be perfect, but you have to be willing to turn your life over and make him your Lord and receive salvation totally based on what he's done. Is there anybody here who's not done that or you aren't sure whether you've done it? If that's you, I need to pray with you first before we can help you to receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Just be bold with this. Here's another one over here. Anybody else? You got to be sure. Here's another one right here. Here's another one. You know, some of you may think, well, I'm not sure if I've done that or not. If you aren't sure, you hadn't done it. Because when you make Jesus your Lord, the Bible says you have a witness in yourself and you know that you pass from death unto life. If you're just hoping, but if you aren't sure, you need to raise your hand. Here's another one. I think that's five, six, seven, eight. Anybody else? You need to make sure. Anybody else? Here's another one. Here's nine. Anybody else? I'm not trying to talk. Here's two more. Eleven. I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, but you just got to be sure. If you aren't certain, I'm trying to get you to express that, you know what, I want to make certain. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that the Bible tells you to pray to be saved. And if you will repeat these words after me and mean it in your heart, You'll be born again. It's not magic. You can't just say the words and instantly it works. The Bible says you have to believe in your heart. You have to say it and believe. But if you will say this and believe, I can guarantee you this little prayer I'm going to lead you in will cause you to be born again, become a brand new person on the inside. Anybody else who's not sure? Here's another one. Anybody else? So for those dozen of you or so that raised your hand, I want you to repeat after me. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this after me so that they won't feel like we're just all listening to them. And then as I say this, I want you to repeat it after me and believe this in your heart and you'll be born again. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you believe that? You believe that? Awesome. If you believe those words and meant it from your heart, then the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just changed. You may still be a man or a woman. You may still be the same height. On the outside, you may look the same, but in the spirit, you are a brand new person. And this book that I'm going to give you will explain this to you. You need to understand because that's the foundation of everything else in your life. Now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that if you've been born again, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you got born again, these people that just got born again, their dead spirit that was separated from God and that was corrupt by sin was taken away and a brand new spirit was put in them that the Bible says is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the significance of this is God created you to fill with the Holy Spirit. It's His will. He wants this more than you want it. So we don't have to beg and plead 
and, and hope that God will touch us. He created you for this. This is what He made you for. And some people will teach that you got to be holy before you can receive the Holy Spirit. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The very fact that you have a problem in your life, if you have a sin, if you have a habit that you hate and you can't seem to overcome, that qualifies you for the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can now overcome. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to ask one time. The Bible says, Luke eleven thirteen. if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you have to do is ask. He's been looking for an opportunity. And all you got to do is open up the door of your heart just a little bit, and I guarantee you he'll come flooding in. So we're just going to ask, and then I'm going to just speak over you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into you. Jesus breathed upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to speak and release the Holy Spirit. And I want you to believe at that moment that the power of the Holy Spirit comes in you.